Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. Our guest today is Crosstown LA publisher and editor Gabriel Kahn. Crosstown LA is a nonprofit news organization covering the neighborhoods of Los Angeles in a different way, through data. Crosstown wants Los Angeles residents to have a better understanding of what's going on around them. Their articles are brief, visually vibrant, and phone-friendly. The web address is xtown.la. Gabriel is a professor at the USC Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism. He previously worked as a newspaper correspondent and editor for three decades, including 10 years at the Wall Street Journal. He teaches on business reporting, economics, and innovation. Thank you for joining us, Gabe. Hi, thanks uh, for having me. So what did I not say in the introduction there? How does Crosstown LA fit within the journalistic ecosphere? What we're really trying to do here is find a sustainable way for producing and distributing local news. Uh, And by sustainable, I mean one that is cost efficient, that brings down the costs involved in a lot of the traditional reporting. And that's why we use data. What made this kind of project personally important to you? Well, I've been looking at the sort of business model around news for, you know, more than a decade. And particularly at the local level, there seems to be no currently kind of economically sustainable business model for local media. There are some successful local media operations out there that are generally supported by their audience that, you know, loves them and needs them. Um, But those things are very difficult to scale and very difficult to kind of repeat. And there's plenty of areas in the country that just simply have no local news source as well, you know, what we call news deserts. So what we're trying to do is figure out a way to allow people to cover areas, local areas, hyperlocal areas, efficiently, accurately, and in a way that engages the audience. What made data journalism uh, particularly appealing to you? So basically, this project grew out of an opportunity that we had because of a grant from the Annenberg Foundation that allowed us to explore innovation with the computer science department at the Viterbi School of Engineering at USC. So this is basically a collaboration between the journalism school and the engineering school. And in speaking with my colleagues in the computer science department, what they were able to do with the data, how they were able to organize it, shape it, to me looked like a real potential for a news product. And we started out by looking at traffic data in Los Angeles, which of course, you know, with all the tropes about Los Angeles is hugely important. And I realized that we could understand things like what is the slowest freeway in LA or which freeway has the most accidents, real kind of core quality of life information from that, we expanded to other data sets, including crime, business, uh, so, uh, building permits, weather data, and things like that. And because the data covers the entire area of Los Angeles, so the city of Los Angeles is 500 square miles, 4 million people. The county of Los Angeles is 2,500 square miles, 10 million people. We're able to take that massive data set and chop it up into little pieces that correspond to neighborhoods or cities or things like that. So from one data set, we can actually pull out sometimes hundreds of different local stories 
by simply dividing the, the one big data set into smaller geographical pieces. And you've done that uh, in a number of ways, including a newsletter that we'll get to uh, momentarily. How is your staff divided up? Is, is the staff uh, completely students? How many people do you have working on the editorial side compared to the design side and the tech side? Good question. The first thing I'd like to say is that we've, you know, what I think is, is unique about the, the newsroom is that it is really one third computer scientists or software engineers one-third designers, and one-third journalists. And that's an important mix because I believe that the future of the industry depends on journalists being, to work, being able to work across disciplines with computer scientists, with engineers, with others in order to create something new and different. And the ability for a journalist to sit next to a software engineer as they go about their business during the day and be able to understand what that person does and vice versa is key for innovation. Innovation comes when you reach across those different disciplines and people work together. So some of the recent stories that you've done, you've already mentioned the, the travel on the freeways. Uh, you did uh, pieces on crime on staycations at Airbnbs and such. Uh, the risks of being a street vendor, how pool permits are awarded, troublesome intersections in the city, and uh, the rise in pinball attacks. Uh, it's what you call quality of life reporting. Do you have any stories that you're particularly proud of? Sure. I mean, I think one thing we, we just have to be clear about is that the data has tremendous capabilities. It also has limitations, and we don't want to overinterpret what the data says. But basically, you mentioned a couple stories which are mostly pieces that we can get from looking at the crime data. Recently, so we're based in California. California the state of California legalized marijuana for recreational use in 2018. We recently looked at, well, who was still being arrested for marijuana-related offenses now that it's been legalized. Arrests have come way down, but the number of Black people being arrested now is greater than it was before legalization. So marijuana becomes legalized and more Black people are now being arrested than in the year before it was legalized. So it'll, the data also enables us to highlight inequities issues of systemic racism, and also to really kind of localize which communities are being impacted the most by different, different factors. For example, we, have, we use data to create an ongoing, constantly updated interactive map of where new COVID-19 cases are popping up. So people can see in their neighborhood how many new cases there are. This has allowed us to identify hotspots to identify also areas that have been successful in flattening the curve, um, but also really just to see how sometimes we saw in the early days of COVID that the disease was moving from rich neighborhoods to poor neighborhoods as essential workers who are often minimum wage workers uh, were the ones who were forced to show up uh, at a store in a hospital or something like that. And that was spreading you know, the disease in areas that have dense populations, low income and so forth. So it does allow us to look at the, the different ways in which inequities are present. Has the city taken any action off of any stories that your group has written? So that's, that's a, a good question. Yes, in a, in a certain sense, one of the things that we do with the data is we tried to hold the police department accountable. We look deeply into the data. We, for example, even look at the terminology that the LAPD uses and the fact that they still use words in some of their data 
like lynching and things like that, even though there has been a California state law to remove that word from criminal code and things like that. What, what we really want to do is drive the data down to the resident level, equip the residents of Los Angeles with data that helps them understand things about their community, such as where are the most traffic accidents in my neighborhood, or which neighborhood has the most number of building demolitions, which is often a precursor to gentrification and, and uh, other sort of changes in the neighborhood and help them use that as a way to advocate for themselves. There are a wide variety of stories on your website, ranging from the ones that you just discussed, to a series called The Detective that I found particularly both interesting and entertaining, with questions such as, how often is fake facial hair used in crimes? How do you guys come up with the stories that you do? So this is, you know, really what we think of is we are a sandbox for a new way of reporting on local communities. And we're trying a lot of different things out. So one is this feature that you mentioned, the detective, which in a way is kind of like the old fashioned crime blotter. However, what we're doing is we're combing through thousands of crime records every day with a computer and the computer, uh, which is basically a bot, recognizes things that are statistically anomalous. So if the number of victims in a particular crime is several standard deviations beyond the norm, it will pop that up and show it to us. If a strange crime or a strange type of suspect appears in the crime records, uh, it will flag that to us. So this allows us to kind of understand, this allows us to look at the weird and the strange of what's happening in the, in the city. <laughs> and we turn that into kind of a weekly little feature of just, you know, crimes of the weird. And how do you come up with the, the, the more serious stories? Well, a lot of that is basically we bring the data, we make the data really accessible to the journalists. So really what we're doing is we're collecting tens of thousands of records each day automatically from crime, from other city agencies and things like that. And we're organizing them and sorting them by neighborhood automatically. And then it becomes very easy for journalists to explore that data and ask questions about it. Such, for example, during the coronavirus shutdown, crime fell uh, rapidly in the city because there were fewer people on the streets and so forth. However, a few crime categories began to spike, including stolen cars. LA has seen more cars stolen now than in at least a decade. It's really shut up dramatically. And that's partly because nobody was going to work. People were leaving their cars on the street. Uh, the city had suspended parking tickets for a while. And that turned the street into an auto mall for thieves who were able to you know, have easy access to a lot of vehicles and the number of, car, of stolen cars jumped. So that's just us kind of probing the records, looking through it for trends, for different anomalies. Recently, there was a heat wave in Los Angeles and we decided to see, okay, so where are pool permits being issued? Now, of course, wealthy neighborhoods are gonna have more pools than poorer neighborhoods. What we weren't expecting was that for example, one neighborhood has had more than a thousand pools put in and some poor neighborhoods have had one. So we were not expecting a thousand to one ratio of where pools are in Los Angeles, but that's what popped out from the data. Seems like that's happening uh, not just with pools, uh, but with uh, other things as well. You can certainly draw parallels across uh, society. Uh, you mentioned stolen cars, you mentioned pools. 
imagery is a universal language and your site features a lot of it. What goes into the teaser graphics that you use for each story? So this is partly just a virtue of being at a, at a university. We're able to work with young design students uh, and artists who can produce um, illustrations for the journalism that we do. We understand that you know, journalism is increasingly a, a visual medium because of the way that people consume it, mostly on their phones, and you need to stand out. And um, uh, so we have kind of, again, a sort of efficient system that allows these designers to explore their creativity in the way that they make illustrations for the stories. The other thing that we like to do is visualize the graphics in interesting ways. And so we, you know, whether we're talking about freeway speeds or um, the number of incidents in a particular neighborhood. So we're trying to, we're trying to make the data accessible to the user in as many ways as possible. And a lot of that is through data visualization. It certainly uh, makes it very, as I said, visually vibrant, very easy to understand. So how much readership do you have? Not that much. Our readership is small, partly because our publishing schedule is fairly irregular, because we really sort of think of ourselves as, you know, we're here to experiment and see what we can do. And our goal is to roll out this approach in other places to basically turn this into a resource or a tool that other newsrooms could use to bring down the costs of covering their local communities and expand the reach. So we get, you know, oh, maybe 10,000 uniques a month, but we get picked up by a lot of other outlets as we did yesterday when we reported on a simple but depressing fact that, again, crime being down in LA this year, but the number of murders has actually jumped 20%. And there's a number of reasons behind that. So one other aspect of this is transparency. And your group is very transparent about how you do things. Can you explain that to us? Credibility is the currency of journalism. And Credibility comes from uh, being transparent and straightforward with your audience. Whenever we collect data from a public source, we link back to the source. We also want to highlight the limitations of the data and be honest about that with our audience and not try to overstate that. That's just a, a bond that we feel with the audience and we want to be as clear and honest about, about that as we can. And, and we just feel that that is essential to journalism particularly right now, the efforts to build trust. A couple of last questions for Gabriel sure. Khan. Tell us about the newsletter aspect of what you're trying to produce. So right now, we're in the final stages of developing another product. Because we have data about each neighborhood in Los Angeles, and that's 110 different neighborhoods in the city of Los Angeles, we're looking for a better way to get that data to the people of Los Angeles. So we've developed a neighborhood newsletter project where we are going to create 110 newsletters, one for each neighborhood. We and the editorial team essentially write one template for a newsletter, and then we create 110 different versions of that. So that if you are in the neighborhood of Silver Lake in Los Angeles, you would get a neighborhood that would have then specific data and graphs and charts about Silver Lake, and someone in Hollywood would get a similar newsletter, but the data would be specific to Hollywood and so forth. So this is an, a way to bring costs down and extend the reach and accessibility of the data. Has there been interest from uh, people in other cities about this? 
Yes, uh, we've gotten a, a lot of interest from people who would like to do something similar. And really, that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to, to sell it. We're trying to find ways that would enable us to give it away so that this solution could be exported to multiple newsrooms in a cost-effective way. Any major city that has a certain amount of publicly available data, it's not such a stretch to set something like this up. Last two questions here. Advice for someone who wants to go into data journalism. I think it's really exciting. Data journalism is first and foremost still journalism, so you still need the skills of writing, understanding narrative and story. I think that data journalists often feel that they have to do everything themselves. And I think that what data journalists also need to do is to collaborate with other folks in computer science to really kind of understand what's possible. And I think that when you collaborate with ex uh, area experts like that, what you're able to do expands tremendously. So I think that one of the key skills for being a data journalist is being able to dialogue and collaborate. And you should think of it that way as well. And last question, is there another journalism organization that you would like to salute? I have been an admirer of some, uh, an organization that does something similar. It's called Outlier in Detroit. It has recently merged with Muckrock. And they basically started from the premise that they didn't want to produce journalism for rich people. They wanted to produce journalism for poor people who didn't have much access to it. And they came up with some real uh, ingenious ways of getting the word out. I will make sure to take a look at them. And I thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. There are so many things about this that are cool, that it's being done at a university with student involvement, that they can experiment and try out different forms of reporting, and that they want to give their model away. Let me say this too. Crosstown LA needs to be seen to be appreciated. So go check it out at xtown.la. The Journalism Salute is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Robert Cole, who taught journalism for more than 30 years at my alma mater, Trenton State College, the College of New Jersey. Dr. Cole influenced hundreds of future journalists. His eyes would have popped out if he had seen Crosstown LA, but he would have been impressed. It was always amusing to his students how Dr. Cole tried to keep up with modern technology. One thing he wouldn't relent on, he always called computer monitors video display terminals. Also, one moment of humble brag. One of my favorite memories of being in a Dr. Cole class was when he staged a fake news conference for a homicide announcement with a local police captain, and both the captain and Dr. Cole praised me for asking what number homicide it was. Data is important. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. If you're interested in following along with us, follow us on Twitter at Journalism Salute. S-A-L-U-T. There are more episodes to come. Thank you for tuning in.